Hello, I'm Fenya. I'm Susanna. And I'm Nick, and we probably shouldn't be friends. That's because we're from different places and we come at issues from different angles. Me, I'm a gay, mixed-race, working-class bloke. Boxes ticked. And I'm a traditional Catholic woman living as an immigrant in a very liberal country. And I'm a climate protester turned riot police. But what we all have in common is we're looking to figure out what the hell is going on in the world and how we navigate it. And we'll talk about everything from politics to dating, from mental health to nutrition. We'll look at history and current affairs for inspiration and we'll share stories from our own lives. All topics and viewpoints will be welcome, so if you're easily offended, switch off now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Shouldn't Be Friends. You've got all three of us today. Hello. We managed to get ourselves in at one place in one room at the same time, which is quite unique. I know. Let's see if we back together. I know. Let's see if we uh, kill each other over the course of the episode. <laughs> so today we're going for a deep dive into the trans debate. How are we feeling, girls? Are you all ready to go? We're feeling good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> are yeah, you feeling let, fluid? Are you go. feeling gender fluid? But also, why <laughs> did you just call us girls? You're making presumptions based on our physicality that the you boobs, shouldn't be the hair the makeup <laughs> sorry I wonder what gave me the idea that you were girls I know well so anyway anyway in preparation for this podcast today I realized that in the mainstream media there's really difficult to find like a balanced narrative of what's going on or even you know with everything there's always pluses and minuses but you don't really come across an that, open yeah. discussion of the minuses um do you Fenya no I had a nightmare of a time. I started researching this topic. I typed it into Google, like most people do when they start doing their research. And the only thing I could find was just complete um, sort of affirmative Hmm. sort of advertisements almost for... So what do you mean by affirmative? So it's it's the kind of belief that... um, if you are transgender, that shouldn't be questioned. It shouldn't be questioned that there's any other motives. You just, you are transgender. Nothing else should be explored. We should look at how to get you to live your best transgender life rather than look at um, <laughs> other things that, that Why may are you be. Laughing, Nick? <laughs> no, like, what is your best transgender life? I, I think the thing that's always like bothered me is that when people say, I was born in the wrong body, we readily accept that and then we move on to treatments where I think we should question what the hell does that mean Mm. being born in the wrong body so that's the affirmative um sort of treatment off of transgender issues Mm. of body dysmorphia um that's exactly what it is and that's the only thing that is available on the internet out there and what about documentaries is there anything out there yeah so I was I managed to come across a documentary it's called transgender transgender kids who knows best from 2017 Actually, by the BBC, um, so I'm not usually a big fan of their stuff, but this one was very <laughs> good. So trying to watch this documentary was an absolute nightmare in itself. I found out it had been banned in Canada. Wow. So a lot Canada. of it took place in Canada and they've just completely banned the documentary. It, um, it's been taken that down. Flame of the Liberty, BBC. Canada. <laughs> exactly. So it's been taken Liberty down. Liberty and freedom. Mm. Just yeah. remember that. <laughs> Sorry, you're, I know you're listening, you can't see it, but like Susanna's wearing glasses for the first time ever. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this geek? <laughs> I look like a teacher, don't I? I remember when I was 16, I first got them and people were like, who is this old woman in the class? And then I took my glasses off, it's me. But sorry, carry on. You look slightly um, special. <laughs> <laughs> I am special. They're, They're also really wonky. They're also really wonky because I keep like, 
shoving them down my bag yeah. and like sitting on them and stuff. So they're all like, but anyway, yeah, I got a headache. A bit, they make and you look I a bit it. cross-eyed. That's all right. <laughs> I probably am today because I'm, I'm I'm a bit ill. But carry on. Sorry, Fania, about that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Shall I take them off to stop distracting you? No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. You're cute Just in the stop corner. Looking at her. Yeah. So you were looking <laughs> yeah. for this this documentary and you couldn't really find out how to watch it. Yes. Yeah. So it was banned in Canada. It'd been taken down off the BBC website. Um, I ended up finding it through a person who had posted a link to it on YouTube. That link had subsequently been taken down, but in the comments section on YouTube, the second link I clicked on, I was finally able to access this documentary. Mm. And then when I watched it, I thought, this is actually a really good piece of journalism. It was incredibly balanced. It wasn't saying that being transgender was wrong or bad or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't anything that I would consider. It wasn't preachy, speech. was it? It wasn't no. preachy. It was just giving a You felt a like it was to, really to exploring the, the issue. Exactly. It was really exploring the issue. It was really fair and balanced. And it's been taken down off the BBC website and mm. and banned in Canada. Um, How tail-tailing of our times. That's really sad. Yeah. But I think that's because the, the, there is an official narrative on... Uh, what trans is and how to treat it, especially in children. Because if you look at the NSPCC, uh, the children's charity, um, their approach uh, of advice to parents, which is going to be the same across social services, the NHS, all the other schools, um, all the other organisations that are involved in child welfare, you know, they ex- they state explicitly that gender identity is a feeling. They say yeah. that it's on a spectrum and it differs from biological sex. I mean, these are theories, guys. Like, there's no scientific it, basis for this. It says mm. there's lots of different possible identities, and it even tells the parents that the child has to lead on what pronouns the parents should use for it. So, as you said earlier, it, this is an affirmative approach. approach. Yeah. And it even goes on to say, transphobic bullying includes deliberately refusing to call them by their new name or pronouns, and that that's a hate crime. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of this example. We were talking about it when we... that. Imagine you go to visit your grandma and um, your mm. child is called Jeff and she goes, oh, here, little Jeff, have a sweetie. Now your grandma's a bully because from yesterday, <laughs> your child's name is um, Jezebel. I don't know. <laughs> Jezebel? <laughs> no, I don't know. Jesus Christ, no, I wouldn't be that cruel to my no, daughter. No, no. <laughs> your child's <laughs> name is like Miranda <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> yeah, Jezebel is bullying. <laughs> I don't know what that actually means. What it's a mean? whore. Oh, I don't <laughs> 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 I thought it was a name. This is why. <laughs> That's funny. Keep it in. I thought it was a name because I'm, you know, I'm foreign. I don't know all the context. But anyway, um, you're to be fair, I have a friend called Jess, and she used to call herself Jessica. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go, <laughs> Jessica. You know, you go. Your name's your son's name is Jeff, and then you go oh well no grandma his name is jessica her name is jessica now and your grandma's apparently a bully now but that's just the nspcc's advice is that you have to go to the family and the schools and you have to enforce the new pronouns and you have to say you know you need to go along with this i think otherwise it's bullying yeah that is the worrying (laughs) part as well because it's all so ideological Mm. none of it is fact and it's all being Mm. presented as fact and that's just the way it is now there is no alternative viewpoint um, which you, again I found in this documentary because there was there, the final remaining doctor psychologist in Canada 
Um, he was still practicing non-affirmative therapy. He was trying to teach kids. Which is just normal therapy. So basically, normal. in any when, other way. When we say that kind of therapy, this is what is known as ex- gender exploratory therapy, where we're trying to figure out what is causing this dysphoria. Could it be other things? Other Maybe mental Ill- like other mental conditions, other yeah. struggles in your life. You're being yeah. abused. You've the experienced best way, abuse. Or the whatever. best way to think of it is that an affirmative approach means that we go straight on the road to medicalization. That is only one possible outcome exploratory Mm. therapy there's a multitude of different outcomes because we're looking at what's really behind this yeah so this dr kenneth zucker he was just basically trying to teach the kids to be content with the gender that they were born with Mm. and he woke up one day and was fired and that was it just any kind of non-affirmative therapy in canada was gone yeah and i do find that quite shocking and And that's kind of coming in spreading from Canada to the other Western countries, because if we look at the proposal for the bill, that would Mm. kind of enforce a similar law where therapists would have to go the affirmation route or risk losing their jobs in the Mm. UK. Oh, yeah, that's the proposed ban to conversion therapy. Yeah, it's spreading to here, and it's... I don't it even know, but so I think what, what, what this te- shows us, though, is that even a few years ago when this documentary was made... It was it was in an environment where you were allowed to explore these things. So something shifted very quickly. And you know, if you were a nineteen fifties housewife looking at this stuff, it looks normal to us. But if you were if you were her, you'd be thinking, What the hell has happened? How did we get here? And I think that's why we need to go back a little bit yeah. to f- figure out like what are the origins of this? I mean, was it did it start with people saying um, I am trans and let me have the surgery? Or was there a little bit more of a thought movement? I think first we need to we need to look at the fact that there has always been in history. That's something that we can't deny. And when people deny it, I get a bit frustrated because there has always been a population of people who are uncomfortable in their body, whether that's with gender or other, you know, other ways that they're uncomfortable in the body. These are types of people that Jordan Peterson would say are just different on the different scales of personality types, things like agreeableness or like no, typically I don't feminine mean in that, traits but and I typically do masculine think, traits. No, I do think that this came from, yes, it came from an ideology. Right. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there are people that just come across those ideas and those questions about themselves, even without the ideology being thrust upon them. Yeah, there are yeah. a few people. Mm. It's not... There was already a natural yeah. constituency for these ideas. Very, 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 very small. A, s- a small amount very of people small, out but there I think they did, way, did exist. Yeah. And that's who this then exploratory kind of system then capitalised on and, and experimented on, and it grew from there. Mm. Um, but what did this population do before they had surgery and... They just lived a normal life. Yeah. yeah. They just lived a normal life. Or a bit of cross-dressing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't I, you know, I don't know. I yeah. wasn't there. But, but what, what, from what I found out, it looks like cross, cross-dressing was sort of the thing, but it yeah. was very hush-hush. I think like the concerning thing as well is, like you said, there's always been a portion of people who are uncomfortable in their bodies. And I think the, the, the worrying thing about the, the new transgender movement is that most of these people who are uncomfortable in their own bodies, they're kids. They're teenagers. And who is more uncomfortable in their own bodies anyway than somebody going through puberty? There (laughs) there has been a prolonged movement to get to where we are today. I think think there has been... Let's put it this way. I don't have any any evidence to suggest that there's been someone who came up with this and they're like, right, Mm. let's sit down... Um, group as a meet as sorry group as a meet (laughs) meet as a group and let's plan how we're going to trans the kids i don't think there's Mm -hmm. historically evidence for for that kind of conspiracy but 
there are movements that have laid the groundwork for this explosion of gender confusion and that mm. in a way even started it you could say and that even kind of started to develop those ideas and then passed it on to the next generation who then mm. made it go as they the kids say these days it went viral um yeah. so and for me those the two i'm sure there's more but the two key things that started that is marxism mm. and modern feminism because marxism dismantles any kind of order in life in terms of i am here for a purpose i'm here to do something the kind of thing the kind of order that religion instills marxism erases that mm. and then feminism completely completely erases roles you know sex identification so men and women are the same men and women are exactly the same not saying men and women are equal mm. as in equal in dignity but yeah. they're saying men and women are interchangeable and once yeah. you destroy but that's the, the different wave isn't it yeah. i think yeah third wave second the and other third wave. wave yeah once you destroy the actual identities of what man is and what woman is then mm. they are interchangeable because we're both human and if if a man and a woman is the same thing why can't you just switch gender so i think those two things really laid the groundwork because it erased god and kind of that dignity that religion gives people it erased gender it kind of attacked the natural order of the nuclear family so then all of those things when the, all those things crumble down you've got the perfect environment for gender confusion to to flourish but so that's what i find quite interesting as well though because the sort of second whatever it's second third wave feminism they talk about women being able to do whatever men can about the sort of almost abolition of gender like you were saying yeah. but then the trans movement is so hyper focused on gender it's very much like i feel more typically masculine mm. or more typically feminine that must mean i'm in the wrong body as though yeah they're, they're not sort of suggest it's kind of in my opinion, goes against the second wave feminism where it doesn't really matter what gender you are. It's become completely all about the gender, completely all about the stereotypes. Yeah, but I, I want to walk agree. this back a yeah. little bit because mm. I want to talk about why this environment has made this so possible. And I yeah. think that that mainly falls down to the fact that that you know we don't have a religious society anymore so there's no, we're not governed by ideas of like natural law and set the two genders man and woman so that means that that's possible to break because exactly, that's yeah. not really reigning the society then the other side is the massive focus on feeling subjective yeah. personal mm. feeling rather than uh known Truth. truths <laughs> so that makes that possible and then when we look back into trans history i mean i found uh, the first sort of people that went underwent surgeries, but like, did you find any kind of theoretical uh, arguments before that, or or does it seem like the surgery came first? I think what before I think, this was really yeah. uh, intellectualized. It's a bit like when you have a tsunami. Where did the tsunami come from? It isn't like randomly; it just manifested itself and fl yeah. flooded. But there's an earthquake. There's something before that. There's there's lots of different factors going on, and I think that's what happened here. Mm. I think that the development and widespread of Marxism and death of religion. You're right to say that feminism. This goes against feminism. I agree. You know, once you erase male and female, then why can't you switch? You know. So I think that was the the groundwork that it laid, and I think all of these factors they they then developed into the, or allowed the ideology to bloom. What's interesting is that this, the first surgeries and the first sexual institutes for 
gender identity and reassignment surgery was in Berlin, yeah. cosmopolitan Berlin in yeah. the, of the Weimar Republic. We can't blame and we can't blame the Americans for this one. <laughs> no, no, we can't. Well, we could. We well, we get on someone who popularized yeah. <laughs> who popularized it, and we're definitely where we are today because of the Americans. But the first seeds for this were really sown in Germany. And what's interesting yeah. about that is that it was a very cosmopolitan, enlightened, and when I say enlightened, obviously non-religious society, which was probably the most eminent in the world at the time for its philosophy. Mm. So there was a lot of people sitting around figuring things out that probably they should have stayed away from. And one one person that really kind of comes to mind is Magnus Hirschfeld. Have you heard of him? Yes, but it's very interesting because Nick and I did our research in different ways. So Nick went on yeah. the internet and I delved into like physical literature, um, books. mainly books. Yeah, <laughs> the old school way. What are they? But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's this thing like you you can actually touch it and hold oh. it. But yeah, it's made of weird. Um, Did it consent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't ask. But um, I know. <laughs> but um, before you just peel. So it open. so the things that we found about this guy are fundamental. Well. Part of some yeah. of the facts are the yeah, same, but got, then we yeah. found the kind of point of view, the way it's illustrated, is fundamentally different. And yeah. I just found that so interesting yeah. that the internet gives well, you it, yeah. specifically mm-hmm. a particular narrative. So, what did you find about um, Magnus Hirschfeld? So, Hirschfeld, he was a German physician and sexologist. Are we both agreed there? Yeah, so well, he, yeah. yeah. There so we go. He got one thing right. <laughs> so he got started. his name. We got his name the same. Yeah. Yeah. title. <laughs> well, was he a he or a she? Who knows? Uh, anyway, he was a Jewish homosexual. Um, and he started the Institute of Sexual Research, which was the first sexology research, research centre in the world. Um, he says that he was propelled to kind of do this work um, because of the suicides of his homosexual clients. And um, he wanted to research and treat the matters of sort of gender and sexuality. And he co- he was actually the first person to coin the term transsexual in 1923. Actually, he started off largely not wanting to go along with these um these reassignment surgeries because obviously how invasive and dangerous they are. But also they but didn't exist. Like there was no yeah, such thing. It yeah. was, it was very little research. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, his, it was his physicians that actually pioneered it. One of his uh, surgeons, Levi Lenz, who worked at his surgery, he actually did the first, he did the first complete male to female reassignment on the woman called Dora Richter. Yep. I don't know if you heard about yep. her. Tell us she, about Dora. <laughs> Dora the Explorer. Um, she did a <laughs> yeah, lot of Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, apparently in her psychiatric notes... Wait, can I just clarify? Is this a woman who was... A man who went into a woman. Oh, right. Okay, so yeah. his. He okay, we're going to go okay. his. Because I get so confused because you switch the I know, pronouns and I'm I like, know. which is it? I know, right. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll stick to his. So... He was from Austria-Hungary, came to Berlin looking for a little bit more of acceptance because he was transgender, um, found a job at the Institute um, because they hired loads of sort of uh, sexual minorities. Um, His first sort of tendencies were that he tried to rip off his penis with a tourniquet when he was six. Um, And as we were talking about actually earlier, what people did before the surgery. So Dora dressed as a girl in, in his free time. Yeah, and so when he was working or around the village, he would dress yeah, as a that's, man, that's and at what home I mean, he was like, in his dress. The people like that existed, and and yeah. there were people that would be uncomfortable and try different things, but they weren't. It wasn't obviously pushed by the society, and it wasn't well, a mainstream thing. Definitely you know? not at that time. So then his first surgery that was un, was done by Levi Lenz was in 1922. So that was when they removed the testicles. And then from that, because uh, they took out the testosterone, that's yeah. when he started to grow some breasts and fill out and get fat. Um, <laughs> curvy, and then, curvy. Yeah. And then <laughs> after that, 
had the uh, penis removed and the first ever vaginoplasty, so uh, artificial vagina made, and that was all at the Hirschfield Institute. What did you What did you find out? Yeah, I found out about his institute. I also found out about his lovely and gorgeous museum of sexual torture. Um, oh, God, that wasn't on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he had this um, uh, museum where he had, which I couldn't quite find if it was like actually where you could go to be tortured or if it was just displaying um, torture devices. Mm. Okay. But basically, it was a it was a museum for um, BDSM right, um, okay. and like extreme things. Um, he also ran a sex house hmm. where he had his partner, who was a man thirty years younger than him, who later committed suicide because of the um, experiments that were done hmm. on him. Again, I'm not sure if there was any like physical things done on him, but like psychologically of the treatments that were being done, it wasn't helping him much, I guess, because he committed suicide. Yeah, he was um, around this kind of yeah. thing of the sexual torture. Well, it does seem that anyone who was around the institute, its staff included, were guinea pigs. Yeah, Because even exactly. Dora came exactly. as a staff member. So then um, he, like like you found, I found that um, he started to kind of want to work on these so-called gender reassignment surgeries. So in the 20s, he started with the castration of uh, Dora. And then he moved on by 1922 to mastectomies and cutting mm. off women's breasts. By 1930, he did... Um, the construction of the fake vagina mm. and what i found very very interesting in this particular case with dora is that i found evidence that while dora was because the the surgery was not successful he got in he got an infection and he was mm. struggling and he needed con constant treatment that's what i found um, and he also died as a consequence of his surgeries oh. and while that was happening Hirschfield was invited to America by a Dr. Benjamin, uh, Dr. Harry Benjamin, who started WPATH, which is what now dictates gender norms in the world, basically in the US. And also they have influence with WHO yeah, and uh, yeah. all over the world. Later on, we'll move on to um, John Money. But basically, Benjamin is the one who, who started off Dr. John Money's mm. uh, kind mm. of career in this field um and benjamin invited this hirschfield guy and he was like great come you've been very successful with mm. your work in germany uh because he didn't obviously tell them that my, my guy who i've just um yeah. no, that's so interesting dying. because when what i heard was that these the institute was being attacked after the rise of the nazis and hirschfield yeah. himself used to get was attacked really badly by a mob and so he fled America for his life. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah, he, if they were yeah. targeted because it was such a preposterous yeah. idea. Yeah. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not denying but that they were. What's interesting targeted. is is that here it says that Dora um, died as a result of a Nazi raid. Yeah. And was a presumed, well, presumed they don't know, but yeah. presumed killed in the raid or arrested and died in custody. And then the center was taken over by the Nazis and used for their own purposes. So I found... Whereas you found that I found Dora died that Dora from complications. Died from complications from the... Uh, well, it didn't actually specify the name of the patient. It just said the patient. So I'm a, in oh, 1930s... I'm wondering if this is... Oh, no. Do you know who this might be? That brings oh, okay. us on to another one. Is If anyone's seen the film The Danish Girl. Have you seen the film The Danish, Danish Girl? Girl. Yeah, I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Eddie so, Redmayne. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne. He plays uh, the Danish painter, trans woman, Lily... Um, this was the first known recipient of a uterus transplant. So right. we don't even really yeah. do many of them now. Um, 
It's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's just ridiculous. He had a series of four surgeries over a period of two years, again at the Hirschfield Institute of Sexual Science. Um, his when the the press found out about it, he was actually married at the time. The Danish government yeah. completely dissolved the marriage and then actually allowed him to change his sex legally, give him a new passport and everything. Um, he then actually got into a relationship with a French art dealer and decided that he wanted to get married and carry a baby for them as a relationship. And that's why he returned to Hirschfield for right. this surgery and died as a result of so having that the might first be, uterus Was that in 1930? I think that was 1931. Okay. Yeah, 1931. Okay, so that, that might be then the the patient that died when he was in the US. So maybe Dora did. Okay. did. I didn't yeah. really find name-specific um, details in this particular piece that I was reading, mm. and I didn't read... <laughs> too many books because yeah. I didn't have the time yeah. but anyway he he went to the US and he did kind of like a tour where he talked about his work in back in Germany and his center mm. and um Harry Benjamin really liked this and he got a team together which included John Money to work with him and to start a similar thing in the US well as we're going to go through this story we're going to see that there's a lot of times where experiments yielded some very nasty results and this probably should have been the moment where it was like right no like let's stop but somehow we carried on but that's what's interesting is that we have here we have the academic and the and the medical uh taking off of yeah. this idea yeah. and then on the other side we have the media so yeah. we have exactly. um Christine Jorgensen which is the person that really brought trans out onto the world stage. This was an American uh, military serviceman who had these feelings of gender dysphoria. He went to Denmark uh, under special permissions from the government and had uh, gender uh, gender reassignment surgeries. Um, and when he told his parents about it, he wrote them a letter saying that um, nature had made a mistake, which he's had corrected. I'm now your daughter. Somehow that found its way to the New York Daily Press. They then arrived at the airport for him to come off as a woman mm. and the first known transgender transgender woman in america blew up all over the magazines became really really famous had forged a 30-year career in the entertainment industry and then toured universities around america giving talks on transgender rights and is actually now uh, commemorated on the stonewall memorial in new york so yeah. we can see how we've got these two things taking traction we've got the academic we've got and the medical and then we've got the media narrative and that's how this is starting to gain traction with the public that's when we then kind of get into dr john money dr john money yeah, yeah. so after after benjamin kind of met Hirschfield and he had a bit of a chat with him and we liked him because dr harry benjamin was someone who was he he made it his life's mission to dismantle the kind of i would say stigma around sex hmm. so he he apparently was kind of working hard to normalize things like polygamy bestiality and different things and he would go out of his way to make people uncomfortable about these things to kind of normalize them in a way right um and so was John Money um, because they were, you know, like working in the same kind of environment. So what did you find out about um, good old John? Mr. John Money. Um, so he was a Kiwi, a psychologist and sexologist. And he was probably, well, he was one of the first theorists on gender identity. Yeah. Um, he actually termed, the, the, the he coined the terms gender role and sexual orientation. And he popularized the term gender identity. And he established the Johns Hopkins Gender Identity Clinic. Um, and that was the first in the US to perform reassignment surgeries on both adults and children. Um, so 
what his sort of theory basically was, was that gender is learned, it's not innate. Um, so this kind of backs up this surgical route we've already got that's taking off, um, that, you know, you can change these things. So he said that gender is the expression of your... Uh, so most people would think of gender as your expression of your sex. So, for example, women, females, men, males. But for money, this meant female had nothing to do with being a woman and male had nothing to do with being yeah. a man. Uh, and so this is all about a feeling, which means you it gives you the basis to be able to do these surgeries to change these things. Yeah. Where else have we heard Johns Hopkins? Hmm, COVID. Something that I found about him that I found very interesting indeed is that <laughs> once again, he was... He was the big proponent of being polyamorous. He he worked with and endorsed paedophilia. He worked on normalizing paedophilia. Yeah, in particular in particular, he believed, he had a strong belief that wives of husbands prefer it when the husband has a sexual relationship with their children because it relieves her of her wifely duties to pleasure him. That is what he believed, that women want their husbands to have sex with their kids because it relieves them of their duty to pleasure his their husband. And that's what, this is who this man is. Yeah, this he... Is, he openly declared his words were, paedophilia is not always pathological. It's often just a surplus of parental love, which becomes erotic. He said, he said, he gave an example. He said, a boy aged 10 or 12 who is intensely attracted to a man in his 20s or 40s. If the relationship is totally mutual and the bonding totally mutual, then I would not call it a problem in any way. Oh, he also thought heterosexuality was a societal construct. He said yeah. it's superficial and ideological. Yeah. Right, what do you think about the um, kids bit? I mean, it's just horrific, isn't it? Like, I suppose there's been a lot more open media about John Money recently. Um, he was sort of hailed as a bit of, like, a hero to the trans community not that long ago, but mm. now there is more coming out. I mean, there's the the infamous story about the, the two boys. Um, mm. Yeah. The Rhymer twins. The Rhymer twins. Yeah. Should we get into the Rhymers? Yeah. Let's do it. So, the Rhymers. In 1966, poor young David Rhymer, eight months old, had a bunch of circumcision, and that meant he lost his penis. Um, money somehow got to his parents. Um, so, I heard that, that money was on TV a lot because he was being promoted by the media mm -hmm. quite a lot. Yeah, oh, okay. And his parents, parents yeah, saw money. him on oh, the, as, okay, and heard that. about the Hopkins um, Research Centre, and they were like, oh, this might be... A great solution. He might be able to help our little baby. Yeah, yeah. So that's they. I think they reached out to him because of the way he was portrayed mm. in the media. So money thought it was great because the rhymer, tw the rhymers were twins. They were both yeah. boys, and he thought it would be a great way to test out his theory that gender is learned, mm. because he would have a control, which would be yeah. the the brother that still had the penis. So he convinced the parents to allow him to do a sex reassignment on David. Um, so they removed his testicles when he was aged 22 months and changed his name to Brenda. Um, he got the parents to agree to hormone therapy. Um, but as we went through the years, he tried to get the parents to create a vagina, which they did in the end refuse. Um, he wrote loads of papers saying that this was a successful surgery. Um, what we now know that uh, as we'll go over this story is that it really wasn't. But this 
this one of this experiment really contributed to cementing the pathway we're on now yep. of how we treat children who say that they they were born in the wrong body. Um, some of the terrible stories um, uh, that went on over the course of this experiment were that he used to force the two twins to engage in sexual acts at the age of six. He even took images of these. Um, he would bully them into forcing them to strip and they would he would make them do genital inspections on each other. This so-called therapy traumatised the two kids and in the end it culminated with David threatening to kill himself if he ever had to deal with money again. So the parents kind of backed him up and said enough was enough. And on the other side, you know, outside of, of the experimental side of it, um, David, oh, when he was called Brenda in school, he was... He was clearly, you know, mas more masculine than yeah, other girls, yeah. and he would, he would get mocked, he would get bullied because they would they would call him a gorilla because he was, you know, he had broad shoulders and he was masculine and mas and he just didn't understand why yeah. well, why money he's was, this way. Well, yeah, money was money was reporting that Brenda took to her new uh, gender like a duck to water, but it's not true. No, no, I heard they, an interview with him. Um, before he sadly passed away and it was really sad he was just saying that like he went to school he was forced to do all these feminine activities he was forced to wear dresses he was saying I hate wearing dresses yeah I don't know why everyone's forcing me into this every day and it was just like he yeah, fought against that, it the whole way and, and John Money's come out and said oh it's going great and he's obviously come out later in life and said well no it was actually really horrible yeah. Yeah. yeah but John Money had completely recorded it as though Brenda was getting on fine and it was all a success and that gender is completely learned but yeah David was completely fighting against it the whole way he wanted to play with the action men he wanted to play with the trucks he wanted to dress like a boy he wanted to play football but uh, Money kept at it with the parents said no do not allow it and then he used this as a pretext to say let's do the vagina let's do yeah. this let's do that because then finally we'll get to a point where he accepts it but he never did. And that's when David then threatened to kill himself if he had to deal with money ever again. And the parents decided to sit him down at 14 and tell him the truth about the fact that he was actually a boy. Um, after this realisation, David dropped the name Brenda and went back to his properly name and he had proper name and he had the female body ramification modifications reversed. Money has claimed total success on this. He calls it the John Joan case. Um, and this has gone on to, as I said earlier, fuel all of the ideology, all of the treatment paths that we're under today. And this story was actually uncovered by a journal by a sexologist, uh, Milton Diamond, who persuaded the boy to uh, come out and tell his story. But as as we said, this these ideas about how to treat it had already been cemented. This is all open yeah. information, but no one has actually gone back on this and said, actually, we need to look at this again. This is probably the wrong thing. You, you can't just learn what gender you are. Sadly, uh, actually Brian, uh, the twin that was also forced to take part in this experiment in terms of uh, sexual acts, forced sexual acts with his brother, he took an overdose and uh, sadly died in 2002 and David followed suit by shooting himself in the head and committing suicide in 2004. And the, tw the parents of the twins have openly said that it was money's experiments that on, his ch on their children that was responsible for the deaths of both of their sons. Money himself has always dismissed it as a right-wing propaganda and anti-feminist. And another place where John Money got some of his data to base his so-called academic research on was from a guy called Alfred Kinsey. Now, Alfred Kinsey was, let's put it mildly, he was a pervert. Um, and the way he thought, he, so he was thinking exactly the same thing, you know, 
the views we have on sex are so you know narrow and old-fashioned let's re revitalize and re-educate the population so i'm going to prove to them that every single human being has these disgusting and innate and they should embrace these things um, animalistic and horrible like pedophilia and all of these diff- incest that everybody has these and they're normal and you should embrace saying, them let's let's live in our animal states pure yeah. animal states put it all on the table but even not only God. if you have those impulses but you should go looking for them but anyway um and where did Alfred Kinsey go to back this idea up? He went, of course, to sex offenders' prisons. And he conducted um, experiments. He asked these sex offenders about things they've done with children, with adults and whatever. And he b- said that this is the data that, that backs his um, claims up. And he also did experiments on babies and children, including an experiment on a six-month-old child, in which he documented. And you can still find the documents. Um, I think you can probably find it online as well if you look really hard. Abuse a child sexually and then document how long it takes for the child to orgasm. And the way he defined orgasm is when the baby starts crying um, in rage. To sexually abuse tiny, tiny babies, toddlers and other children, and then go to these sex offenders and ask them about what stuff that they've done, rapists and horrible, you know, horrible people. And this is the, the material that we use to back up not just gender theory, but also, for example, in America, particularly the new curriculum on sexual education that came out after his research was based largely on his research. So that's yeah, that just and we've never we've never revisited these things. We've never chosen to like walk them back. It, it's actually just it's just shocking. It is shocking, yeah. I just and I think for me the most shocking thing is that when you try to do some research online. You're not gonna find this stuff unless you know what to look for and how yeah. to phrase it, or yeah. you know which books to go mm-hmm. to. Because otherwise, all that's gonna come up is what you know. What what Fenya found is affirmation, affirmation, amazing history. Yes, there's always been lots of transgender people and lots of therapy, and and in um, Native Americans have a three spirited gender and this and that. Like mm. none of that is true. And that's some people all made might up. some people might might say you know. Maybe the guys who were conducting the experiment were unscrupulous and, you know, not the most desirable men, but that, that doesn't negate from their findings. But we, they cook the books. They're, they're, they cook the books. They're, they're not findings. real findings. What the, you got this idea? You can have what, an orgasm at but, six years old. Six months. <sighs> but what does that say about us as a society that we want to pursue sexual you know it's Why just that something that some man just thought sick. he needed to find out what parent agree to it mm. well that's the thing i don't i don't think they came up to a parent and be like oh mate i'm just gonna take a six month old and and i know so i mean i, I think there was a lot yeah. of it going on in the sly where the parents maybe weren't quite aware but like let's have a look at what the it what the ramifications are now there's a there's a really good page on Substack called uh, Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans, and they're or you mainly in America, but a group of parents that have gone through these journeys of transitioning their kids and then realizing that it's a crock of shit. So <laughs> <laughs> we have one parent here in their class. So obviously we always get told like, why is there such a moral panic about a, a portion of the population that's like 0.1% but what we don't get is that 0.1% and growing exponentially especially among t- 
teenage girls where it really never was a thing. You know, there was a small amount of really young boys yeah. that mm. would say that they were girls. The other way around never really happened because I think being a tomboy was a lot more acceptable for a girl than being an effeminate man. Now, all of a sudden, this one parent has found that a quarter of her daughter's class is trans. When you're what age, what age are these kids like? What what are you a group oh, or like? I think what? they're like eight years, eleven year olds. Eleven year, okay. When you ask an eleven year old about anything, you can clearly find out after yeah. a five minute conversation that they do yeah. not have the capacity to understand the full but, extent well, of what to, things yeah. are and what they mean yeah. because they shouldn't because they're children and they have the time to learn. There's these a really things. good part point in this woman's story. Which is a lot, a lot of the time, people will say that we need to have this relationship and sex education in schools because we need to help people understand each other and treat each other with respect and also accept themselves. But what we actually found here is that the daughter came home after a lesson at school being taught about the trans, about being trans and gender identity. <laughs> after being taught about uh, transgenderism and the f and gender identity and the fact yeah. that it's fluid and came home, looked up transgender on TikTok and then came out to her mum saying she was trans. And then all of a sudden, a quarter mm. of the class, of the girls in the class are trans. And there was even one child in the class that had four names in one year, all from different anime series, because the school's policy is that they will go along with any amount yeah. of social transitions and name changes and they don't always tell the parents. Yeah. It's it's mad. I I was listening to a podcast this but morning it, about the Tavistock and I thought it was absolutely mental because they were saying up until about 2011, like you said, very small portion of transgender children. And after 2011, I don't know what it was that, that kind of caused that change, yeah. whether it was the internet or... I don't I think know. It was a multi, like it, you know, multi. It's a multi, yeah, thing. multitude of things, yeah. isn't it? But all of a sudden, they just had this absolute explosion, and it went from, it was, I think, what was it, four boys for every one girl, um, who was coming in with uh, gender dysmor dysfor dysmorphia. dysmorphia. There we go. Um, dysphoria. Dysphoria. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> Get them mixed up. Yeah. So anyway, there was a, a much <laughs> yeah. larger number of boys coming in with gender dysphoria. Um, and then after 2011, all of a sudden they saw this uproar of girls coming into the clinic. And all of a sudden they didn't have enough people to treat them. They were treating under 100 a year. And that number increased by like 100% every single year after 2011. Mm. The waiting lists out the door, they yeah. didn't have the people to treat them. And it's just... It's, I mean, yeah. like you said, it, it could well be that these people are just hearing this term for the first time in a very complex stage of their lives, going home and thinking, oh, maybe that's me because I've been struggling. Well, it seems to me that it, with, in, this, in this example that I just gave, the, the child initiating the fact that they're transgender came after the lesson. There wasn't a problem yeah. before that. So it just shows you do need to be really careful about what you're teaching kids because they're easily influenced. The fact that they, they told this child, if you're uncomfortable in your body, yeah. then you're transgender. Well, the child had just got her period. Of course, she's uncomfortable in her body. I think it's the way that it's framed as well. What they're taught or what they perceive to be transgender is just normal aspects of growing up and normal differentiations in personality and character. Mm. So we are told that if you are like this, a bit like you said in the beginning, if you like doing these activities, you can't be liking them and being a girl. At the same time, you're mm. uncomfortable in your body mm. because you're growing breasts and you're, you're starting to have a period, you're hormonal. You're, that's the most irrational period of your life because mm. you, you are so confused, your body's growing, hormones all over the place, new experiences as well. You're going into 
new social experiences. Maybe you're starting to date. Maybe you're starting to be kind of bullied because people become more aware of that stuff when they're teenagers. And then you're thinking, well, yeah, of course I'm not comfortable in my body. I must be Mm. a transgender Mm. person. But this is what happens when you don't have those boundaries and the parents aren't leading. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I found quite an interesting example of that, actually, um, in this documentary. So there was a young girl, I think at the age of about six years old, she was screaming to her father, going, like, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, you have to treat me like a boy. And the dad just doubled down and was like, no, you're not. Like, he, he was never said that she couldn't do any of the masculine activities that she wanted to do and all of that kind of stuff. Um, he ended up taking her to a therapist and they spoke about it. And it was, um, and yeah, he didn't go down the affirmation route. He went very much down the sort of more talking therapy, conversion mm. therapy route. And while she was in her, when she got to her sort of teenage years, she, I think she moved to a new school, joined the girls' hockey team realised that there were more girls out there who preferred the more masculine activities. They liked doing sports. They didn't really care about makeup and clothes. And she and then she turned around. She's now a happy, healthy adult. And she said, no, I'm not a boy. I'm just a girl mm. who likes doing masculine activities. Even and like even the fact that playing that doing sport is seen as a masculine thing. It's not. It's, it's exactly. just a human yeah, exactly. thing. You know, it's just differences in us as people it's it's in in a weird way it's enforcing a very rigid view of what a girl is and what a boy is but i think it's interesting because on the other stories i got there's another one about a therapist as well this was a psychologist parent who's had an autistic daughter who started to say that she was a boy around the time of her exams and stuff so the mum was like i'll send you to um a therapist just to help you kind of deal with these anxieties because i think the kid also had adhd etc and straight away the therapist on on the third session started showing her slideshow of her what her how her enlarged phallus would be basically her enlarged clitoris after she starts taking testosterone showing her how great she'll look once she has her mastectomy calling her he and it was just insane. So the mum just said, do you know what? No, I'm not having this. Mm. And she moved her out of the country to somewhere where th- this isn't really happening. And the girl's just getting on with it. Because I think what it what it teaches us is that when you come up against nature, there's just no point fighting it. Just go along with what you are and be your be yourself. You don't need to change. The idea that you need to have plastic surgery to be your true self is utterly ridiculous. But also, you're not going to be happy you are not going to be happy because the issue isn't your body and the way you look. The issue is deeper than that and it's in your kind mm-hmm. of spiritual and psychological space. Um, and you're not going to sort that out by chopping off your breasts. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And the parents really need to lead. The last story I had was just, it was a social justice activist. She came, <laughs> she actually came up with the idea of intersectionality and everything. She raised her uh, two sons, gender neutral. The first one said he was trans. They went along with it, but then the, and he was already a bit of effeminate, so they they kind of accepted it. With the youngest, the youngest was very typically boyish, but started saying he was a girl, and I think they started to feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. They were a bit like, "What's going on here?" They've done a bit of research, realized it's he's trying to identify with his older brother, but they're saying like, "No," because they're realizing it really can't be a thing with the younger one. He's a boy. So then they had that kind of juxtaposition of like, well, how can we say, yes, you're trans to one and no, you're not trans to the other. Mm -hmm. So they started looking into it all. And in the end, they thought, oh, do you know, we're just going to have to go along with it. So they went to a therapist and the therapist was like, you know, your child's going to have all these issues if you don't go along with it. So she took her son home, her youngest, and um, 
said to him that night, oh, I love you, you're my girl. And the son went, don't call me that. And she was like, what the hell? So she started like thinking about it more. And then she realised that we can't do this. We just cannot do this. I need to take the lead here. And when she did, and she decided to unsocially transition both kids, at first they kind of reacted badly and they were upset. But apparently she said it was like the kid just completely relaxed. It just let go of this burden because it finally had an adult that was going to lead and set this boundary of what you are. This idea that, oh, this child was trans. You put the idea in his head. Yeah. You know, the youngest, the, the sons had said, am I a boy or a girl? Because they'd never told them. They never used to talk about men and women. They used to change the name to people. And they never used to call their sons boys. And the kids kept saying, am I a boy? Am I a girl? Am I a boy? Am I a Just girl? And the mum would always say, well, you can choose. You can choose what you are. So... This is why she ended up with two bloody trans kids. And then now when she said, do you know what? Enough is enough. Um, they're fine. They're, yeah, they're both yeah, yeah. happy boys. <laughs> what, the, the eldest she thinks is probably a bit effeminate, maybe a little bit autistic, might end up being gay. The second is just, you know, a normal straight boy. Like, mm. And they've got those also, boundaries and their parents taking to, the lead. Like, I think it, this does come from the school of of um, Kinsey and money that we have to sexualize children when they're toddlers. We have mm-hmm. to figure out what their sexual attra- They have no sexual attractions mm-hmm. at the age of two. They're not gay at the age of two. They're just a child. You're not gonna, why are you trying to figure out the sexual identity of a two year old? That's just sick. It's just sick. It's just mental. Why yeah, are we going along yeah. with this? But, you know, if you're listening and you're a parent who's having these issues with your child, like, unfortunately, you need to think really carefully about the therapist you go and see because therapists are all trained to think one way about this, yeah. which is that if the child says they're trans, they are trans, you need to go along with it. But the problem you, you really need to realise is that this path only leads one way, and that is hormones and that is surgery. I, I was li- actually, it might have been the same podcast. I can't remember that. Um, I was listening to um, an interview with this lady. And she used to work in one of these gender clinics. The Tavis dog. Not the no, Tavis No, she was American, she was in wasn't America, she? Yeah. yeah. And um, she said... It's a different lady, but I know she, what you're talking about. She said that um, often people would phone up and they'd be like, I think my child is confused about the gender. Can I come in? And they would kind of be told, we're really over, you know, we've got a lot of clients coming in. And the person on the phone would kind of give them guidance and to what criteria they have to fulfill in order to be seen urgently by the, by these um, doctors. So one of the criteria was, of course, if they're suicidal or if they're threatening to take their own life. Um, oh, and they would ring back a couple days later. And they would ring later. back a couple later, yeah. days later and be like, my child is threatened to take their life. Where they've no, not displayed any of those kind of things before and they wouldn't mention it before. Um, and it's only been like three days. And same goes for children who go to their parents and or, or go to a psychologist and the psychologist says, you know, we have to wait, whatever, whatever. They go onto TikTok and there's literally, I kid you not, there's a whole gigantic movement of um, your big sisters or your big brothers or your big siblings on TikTok that guide you how to trick your parents and how to trick your doctors into giving you hormones. So they tell you, this is what you yeah. have to tell them. You have to tell them you're suicidal. You have to say, you either give me what I want or I'm going to kill myself. But this is why it's, sorry. I was just going to say, I've heard stories in the UK where you don't even need to trick anyone. Uh, I was listening to this earlier about, apparently it's it's really big in um, Blackpool. They've got like a very large population of transgender people up there. And there was a story of this um, transgender boy, so he used to be a woman, and one of them said that he'd been on the waiting list for testosterone for five years, and another one said that he went to the doctor's 
And in the first, it was I think it was just a GP because he hadn't been referred to a gender clinic yet. Um, the doctor just prescribed him with testosterone. And he did give him a referral to a gender clinic as well. But he... like he, Was that the GP? I think it was the GP. And but they well, wouldn't even... They, the GP wouldn't even prescribe a male testosterone. Mm. You'd have to go to an endocrinologist. The GP wouldn't even prescribe you antibiotics if you've got a bacterial <laughs> infection. Mm. What, what happened after that? So, well, he's been taking the testosterone. That I think that was when he was about 16 or something. He's been taking it for a few years now, and now he's gone for a GoFundMe page so that he can have top surgery. Oh, um, so it's all... Um, I mean, he's going through with it, and he's still insistent that that's the right move for him. But I just think you go to one appointment, yeah. and they just yeah. go... Yeah, here you go. Yeah, have have the testosterone. What? So that's why it's so, it's so important that we need to get the politics out of medical uh, out of the medical arena because we need to be able, we need to be making sure that these children are being treated correctly. We need you know we need to weed out the people that are genuinely struggling with this. The problem is is that in general, when you decide in a culture to celebrate something, people will respond to that as an incentive because it is it, it gains them status. Yeah. And when our culture, you know, in, in the first story I told you about the kid where a quarter of the kids in school are trans, that school constantly, every week, has an LGBT day. They celebrate uh, Jazz Jennings. They celebrate all of these queer and trans heroes, as they call them. So no wonder you've then realised mm-hmm. that, ah, oh, these are the people we venerate. These are the people we look up to. No wonder a quarter of the class is trans. And yeah. so we need to look at that. Why are so many out of nowhere becoming trans? It's, it, I, don't, I don't want to belittle what people struggle with because no. there's a lot of people that genuinely, genuinely struggle with their, their bodies and how they feel inside those bodies. But there is also a um, motivating factor in the fact that you can be celebrated and get status through going on this journey yourself. Yeah, and we're not here judging anybody or I'm not here belittling anybody, like you said. I genuinely care about people and I don't want people to go through things that will ruin their lives. I don't want people to mutilate themselves or allow doctors to mutilate them and to make them infertile at the age, or at any age really, but especially if they're a child. I don't think we should allow that. I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think it's worrying, isn't it, because they... I, I know the Tavistock's been, well, it's closed now, but they've been quite open about the fact that very little research has been done into giving people puberty blockers, into giving people testosterone. What are the long-term effects? It, like, I mean, it turns out, I think the Tavistock were the only ones in the UK that were sort of in charge of dealing with this, and they hadn't been keeping any sort of um, regular checkups mm. on the people, so they don't know how they're doing in adult life. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so it's just... And I think, yeah, it was, I think it was 2011 as well that they started issuing puberty blockers and they made it the the sort of standard protocol for Mm. dealing with people who had gender dysphoria. And they were initially saying that it was to be used to give them some time to decide what gender it was that they wanted. It it was kind of misused. A lot of people were going to the Mm. clinic saying, like, I want puberty blockers, that's all I want. And again, like, you don't know what the implications are on your health. Partially, we do know what the implication of puberty blockers are because there's no such thing as pausing puberty. Mm. You, If you take puberty blockers, it's not like when you stop taking them, you're magically going to go into well, puberty. Well, they say for boys who have puberty blockers, they're very, they're very likely that they will have um, a micropenis. Like, if you give your son puberty blockers 
I think it's some. It's a really high percentage chance that after that, even if he rever- if he, if he comes off of them, he will have a micro penis. Mm. So it's that surprising, he's underdeveloped, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I just. And, oh. uh, but even your bone structure, your oh, yeah, the everything, bone everything, issues, yeah. everything yeah. you grow Osteoporosis in that time. in girls. Yeah, exactly. Everything, your whole body is growing and developing. If and you go through the menopause, yeah, you have to go on hormone replacement therapy, otherwise you'll yeah. get osteoporosis. But when they put these girls on testosterone. They don't give them those other hormones, which means that a lot of young girls are struggling with osteoporosis. Mm. Young girls. It's just... It's awful, isn't it? And they're not telling anyone. It's like what you say. You know, they're just going along with this. They're not really uh, keeping any records of the ramifications on young people's bodies. But we know the same uh, hormones that they're using on young boys are the same ones they use to uh, chemical castration and sterilisation. Yeah. And it's not always reversible, but mostly not reversible. None of it is reversible. None of it is reversible. Every action has a consequence. Everything. And all of these, blocking your body's natural growth that is good and healthy, stunting it and kind of shifting it, molding it, has effects. And it's not good. Not good effects. Well, as the um, parent who took her daughter out of the country because she'd had enough called it, she was not going to allow her daughter to have a Franken body. <laughs> exactly. And it's true. Why? Why are you going to botch your child up? And not to not to talk about the effects on the mental health that it has, uh, puberty blocking and all of this, because the hormones, there is a reason why those hormones are there. And mm. there's, you know, it ha- it develops your brain, it develops your mental health, all of these things. Mm. Trans people are 19 times more likely to su- uh, commit suicide than people who aren't trans. And the most likely time for a trans person to commit suicide is, I think, seven or eight years after transition. So that yeah. shows you that transition is not the silver bullet you think it is for your child's struggles. Mm. Yeah. And I saw a statistic from 2017, so it's a little bit old, but the 80% of children who do experience um, gender dysphoria, they eventually do accept their biological sex. And they learn to embrace it. So yeah. it's just the fact that we're like a lot of people just seem to be jumping straight mm. down the surgical mm. route, which is so extreme when a very mm-hmm. large majority of children will learn to. I think it was something like 80 uh, percent. I know that's just boys, but 80 percent of boys who present as trans who don't go through the transition end up being gay. It's, it's yeah, a lot of the time it is. I mean, Munro Bergdorf, the um, trans activist, wrote a book and in the book openly said, I didn't have to be this shameful, defective gay. I, I'm actually just a woman trapped in the wrong oh, body right. and I'm perfect. And yeah. so it's in a way, you know, if you're if if you're if you're a gay person, you should be quite concerned about this. Th- that's what I find so strange about this movement is it's quite offensive to quite a lot of people. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. are choosing to alter their bodies through surgery rather than live as a homosexual man uh-huh. or woman. And it, it does just really sort of hyper-focus on those kind of gender norms and what was the word that that chap called? Gen- gender stereotypes and things like that. I just, I'm not exactly a second or third wave feminist. I don't really agree with that. I do think that there are biological differences between men and women. But why, when we've worked so hard in getting rid of these differences and opportunities, are we now going backwards and saying, oh, well, you're feminine, you must be a woman. Mm. Oh, you're more masculine, you must be a man. I find it quite offensive yeah. personally, to be honest, as a woman who has had certain masculine tendencies. I had too much testosterone growing I, up when I, I was just, going through puberty. And you're I'm not just, a man. You're and I'm not a man. With I'm just a woman who, who likes to do masculine things every once in a while. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, understand why I, that is a problem. And I do think, you know, it is 
I know a lot of the time people ignore the girls that turn into boys and we focus on the men that turn into women. But I do think it is because women lose the most with this. Men won't have it. Like, men won't go along with this. They'll humour you. Like, yeah. if you're a girl who thinks you're a boy, they will humour you. But, like, no one's taking you seriously. You're just a fly in the corner. When you're a man who's pretending to be a woman, you are genuinely a threat to yeah. those women. The other day, I was in a Premier Inn, and it was... I went into the loo and it was a unisex toilet. I walked mm. in, there was like an eight-year-old girl in there on her own. And I was like, this is wrong. This yeah. is so wrong. Because if the wrong man walked in here... Yeah, and the, f the worst thing about this is that um, the classical feminism fought for these separate toilets. They fought for the privilege of... Well, for the right, I wouldn't say privilege. They fought for the right for a woman to feel safe mm. in a space. shelters. But yeah. yeah, and now these spaces are being being open Colonised by men. Yeah. Mm. And the, my favourite thing is when so-called feminists talk about how beautiful it is for trans women to take up world records in sport or be the CEO of this company or first trans woman to be in this place or first trans woman. And I'm like, your feminist equals from 100 years ago fought against this. They fought for separation of the sexes for a reason, to give us a, an opportunity to flourish and to give us an opportunity to have a level playing field because we have these physical mm. differences yeah but then it wasn't and feminists that fought, that fought for the separation of the sexes a that's of, a religious thing no a lot of feminists fought for, for separate toilets for, for separate spaces. sports oh for, for women's spaces, spaces but yeah but even religious I mean. but even re even re religion wanted women to have separate spaces yeah but so. what i mean is um you know all of these original feminism fought for these things they fought for the protection yeah, of women yeah. and now in the woman's role yeah and that because we recognize that there is a difference between a man and a woman. Mm. And in order for women to protect women, we do need separate toilets because we don't want to, to be vulnerable in that way. Um, and we shouldn't come across, you know... Well, I spoke to a girl the other day and she said, you know, I, I like to think of myself as liberal. I like to think of myself as permissive and accepting. But the other day I was in the loo and, you know, I just thought to myself, like, if, if someone came in here, I'm literally at his mercy. If a mm -hmm. man can come into women's spaces, you, you're at the mercy hoping that it's not someone who wants to rape you. That's your only protection is that hopefully he decides not to do it. And I think the yeah. worst case is women's prisons. Yeah. Because you're locked in a space, you can't get away and you're there for long periods of time. And mm. then you have a man who is a violent criminal and one day he just goes, oh, well, I'm just a woman. And then you put him in the same woman. room as a, as a woman and she's at his mercy. Mm. She's with a rapist for, for days on end, locked in yeah. one room and she's got nowhere to go. So that's, that's the logical conclusion because at the end of the day, for trans to work, it means that everyone has to go along with it because when you say you're trans... You can't change the inside of you. You're changing the outside. Yeah. You're having the surgery. You're dressing the part because it's all about you want the outside world, the external world to validate your gender identity. So you as a woman. So that means that really for that to work, you have to enforce compliance from everyone around you. Exactly. Collusion in the lie from everyone around you. And the moment someone refuses, that's it. Your illusion's gone. That's why it's so, such an explosive yeah. topic because yeah. there's no such thing as being transgender. Mm. I'm not saying that people don't struggle with that. I'm not saying that those people who have gone through the surgeries don't exist. I'm saying you can't become 
a man, if you're a woman, for them it's like you're saying I don't exist. You're saying I don't exist. You're saying I shouldn't exist. You want to kill me. You want to get rid of me. No, I love you. I think you have beautiful value, but you are beautiful the way you are. You don't need to chop yourself mm-hmm. up and become like you said, Franken child. Mm. Yeah, Franken body. Franken body. Uh, yeah, I think there's definitely concerns with this talk off a self ID bill, aren't there? And it's, for me personally, I mean, I have had to, as a police officer, I had to do a strip search off a woman with a penis. (laughs) And I was thankful that it all went really well. But you shouldn't have to do that. So that's the thing as well. So as a woman... Without a penis. Without a penis, yeah. In a custody area, you specifically have to deal, like men have to deal with men, women have to deal with women. That is written into pace. That is as soon as you get into custody you cannot be searched by a member of the opposite sex Mm. with the self-id bill all of a sudden you can choose what your sex is as soon as you get into that room and it does create issues because i used to be there with men and they would turn around and make lewd comments like oh why don't you come and strip search me officer and things like that much worse things Mm. and you just think if the self-id bill is passed i'm going to be locked in a room with no cameras with this man getting him naked and he is physically stronger than me. He always will be. Hmm. And that's my issue as well, is the, the physical strength aspect. No yeah. matter how much you try and deny it and try and accept, like, state that men and women are all equal and all the same, men will always be stronger. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is the case in it's every a generalization. example. It's a generalisation. Yeah. Yeah. But Your typical I mean, man is stronger than your typical woman. Exactly. Yeah. And... It, I mean, it comes into the sport aspect. It comes into the the gender mm-hmm. neutral areas. It it's just, for example, like I've always had issues. I've always tried to sort of get myself to the same level as men. I've always been like, no, I can do anything a man can do, and it's taken me a very long time to accept the fact that no, I can't. Mm. I'm not physically capable. And then you put men in these same situations that are saying that they are women, and all of a sudden they can do it, and you're just like, well. It devalues the the difficulty and the struggles of femininity because we do go through difficult times. Like I was really annoyed with the partnerships of Tampax with Dylan Mulvaney. I'm not saying that if you're a man, you can't have a, an opinion about something that is a feminine issue. Of course, you, you can. can have an opinion, and you can I just also don't think it's going to be as valid. But, but <laughs> it might even be in some cases valid. I'm not saying you know, like if you're a doctor and you're advising me on my period, obviously you're going to have a valid. And you're a man, yeah. that's fine. You know, I'm not saying that men in every case, but a man pretending that he has a period, yeah, pretending like he he has mm. been through that. Selling me a tampon, I'm like, what? Just one of no. my cons- one of my concerns with a lot of this is that with the surgeries that some of them are having, where they look like these hyper feminized women with huge boobs, yeah. plump lips, feminized face, the hair, the whatever, it's it worries me that it's then going to start making real women feel inferior or like that they have to compete and also these men get to have all these surgeries look you know even the bbls and all of that look like bloody kim kardashian but not have any of the negative uh um issues that come with being a woman namely like periods and whatever else Um, i wouldn't say negative but i would say not negative sorry any of the um struggles struggles more complicated things yeah yeah sorry any of the struggles um that that i don't think a period is negative (laughs) no it's not negative (laughs) but what i mean is is that men have an advantage that they don't go through that yeah not only that they don't have a week a month where they're kind of 
bundled over. Oh, I'm already so worried about all of this surgery that young girls are having and how the surgery face is almost the norm now and it's desirable, even though everyone knows it is botched. And what what now are young girls going to have to go through when they've got to now compete with, with these, plastic. you know, yeah. plastic, surg- plastic ready Barbie doll? Uh, to order who's also going to be promiscuous because they're yeah. a male so they're you know what i mean it's extra competition but with I think males ultimately there is no competition i mean you there are some people obviously that will go after that and there are some yeah. people that find that you know desirable whatever but that's what they're trying but, to do to the but culture i, d- I don't it, think that's ultimately that. going to it's not going to work long term because it's just not you can't hide the truth mm. we as humans naturally want to find the truth even if we're lied to and this is such a basic thing that everybody deep down knows it. Like no one deep down believes that I can become a man. No one, not one person on the planet, every rational human being knows that that's not the case. But they just go along because they don't want to offend or whatever. Mm. whatever. I have noticed in media and in wider society a shift, a bit of a shift where people are starting to say, well, hold on a second. I thought it was about you living your true self. That's what people, you know, would say five or six years ago. It's just Mm. me living my true self. Leave me alone. Mm. Um, But it's not that anymore. It's me imposing on everybody else, telling everybody else how Mm. they have to live. Well, you're a cis woman and And you're a bleeder and you're a menstruator. And and also then the hyper-focus on children and, and, and toddlers and babies, people are starting to kind of be like, hold on a second, Mm. I don't I don't want this. It's slow. Obviously it doesn't happen overnight and it's not like a click mm-hmm. moment. But um I do think that ultimately truth always wins. The truth always wins. I think we should leave it there. Yeah. Mm. See you Let's next week. Let's hope the truth does win. It will. It will. Because will just... God is the truth. Oh, God. <laughs> Bloody yeah, hell, yeah. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, um, <laughs> well, hopefully it does. Just hopefully it doesn't take too long and there aren't too many children sacrificed on the way. And we'll wrap it up there. See you next yeah. week. See you next week.